amazing weekend. Uh, it's very, uh, uh, I think, uh, sobering uh, as well as um, uh, rejoiceful. Uh, we remember those who have laid down their lives to ensure that we can do what we're doing right now without worry or concern. And so thankful for uh, the military families that have paid that ultimate price and uh, their loved ones have uh, died in, in combat. And uh, if you're one of those, then uh, we, uh, we thank you for your sacrifice and thank you for um, being willing to send your loved ones off. Again, we are praying this morning and, and so thankful that um, we could pray without fear, pray without uh, fear of persecution or somebody busting in the doors and same thing for this right now. We can sing out loud, we can turn the music up, and we can uh, rejoice as loud as we want to. And uh, we know that was given to us by God, but men and women throughout our, our nation's history have laid down their lives to ensure that we can continue on in this. And so we're so thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8, and uh, we are going to continue on in this study. Uh, I think as the world continues to, to move forward and the, the craziness of the world uh, continues to be revealed, it's so important for us as the church uh, to learn the lessons that God has for us in the Word uh, because, man, they face some severe persecution in this first church and not as a matter of, uh, of trying to instill any fear, but preparation. Um, they talk about the military. I know that we have several uh, veterans in our, in our church and so thankful for their service, but they know what it's like to go to boot camp and to experience some really, really difficult situations and training and, and uh, go through a really hard time so that they're prepared for when the time comes. And uh, many of them who went into battle uh, said that, that nothing really prepares you until you get out on the, the battlefield. And I think that's similar in our Christian lives. You know, there's some things that we can go through and that can, can, can prepare us for what comes next. But until we get into the thick of the battle, uh, that's when it's really going to come time to uh, exercise our faith. And I would just rather our church not be overwhelmed whenever persecution and uh, more difficult times come, as the, as the Bible says. I'd rather for us to have learned lessons and be as prepared as we can. And so, again, I'm so thankful for this, this study that we're doing, God's Word, uh, the book of Acts that we have to, to learn from and, and, and to move forward. But last week in our study, we, uh, we left off with the Lord sending Philip from this great work that was going on in Samaria. And uh, if you have been a part of a ministry or if you have served in an area uh, of church that, that there were just great things going on, uh, you, you kind of get in the middle of that and you're like, man, I, I hope this never changes. You know, I, I, there have been seasons of ministry uh, that I'm like, man, I wish it would stay like this forever. You know, there were, there were just rejoicing and, and, and people getting saved and, and unity and, and so many different blessings spiritually going on. You're like, man, I wish this never changes. And, uh, and then it does. And you're like, oh, okay, that's just the journey of life. Um, but that's what was going on with Philip. He was in, in the middle of a, of a great work of God in Samaria. And anybody in their right mind would say, man, I want to stay here. I mean, these are new believers. They're all wanting to be baptized. They want to learn about following Christ. They want to live their life for the Lord. I mean, there's great things going on here. I don't want to leave this place. It's, it's, it's infectious. My, you know, uh, he was already 
passionate about serving God, already obedient in the faith, sharing the gospel, went down to Samaria. I mean, all those things were already evident in his life. But I can only imagine that Philip was like, I'll just chill here for a while. Great persecution back in Jerusalem, not going there. I'll just hang out here in Samaria where awesome things are happening. But God had other plans, right? That's amazing. That's amazing that God didn't let Philip stay in a place of comfort. It's amazing that God was like, you're not going to stay here and just rest and, 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 and be cool with what I'm doing and, and just experience all the benefits. I, I want to use you. I want, I want you to be out of your comfort zone. I want you to walk by faith. I want you to go and do something for me, not live for you. And so that's what we see. He, he calls Philip to, uh, out of Samaria to uh, the region of Gaza, and the Bible made it very clear that it was desert there. And we talked about uh, th that's how God uh, does because he's God, and he knows what's best for us. Uh, maybe if Philip would have stayed behind in Samaria, he would have got way too comfortable he would have started living a way too convenient life, way too self-centered and selfish uh, life that he would have been rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. And I, and I think that's where a lot of believers are, specifically in America today, is that we are so focused on comfort, convenience, and self-centeredness and selfishness that we've become ineffective in the gospel kingdom, in, in, in the gospel work, in the kingdom of God. And, and man, I, I just, I think that's while, while there are temporal blessings and, and we can be so filled with those things, I think that's a miserable place to be for a Christian. That's why I think you can never get enough or have enough or do enough uh, things in this world. You got to keep doing more, keep having more. But God took him to the desert. And we were reminded that the desert is a very dry place. Uh, the desert is not only dry, but it's often lonely. And if you've ever been or if you're there now, uh, to a desert place. And that, and again, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the, the specifics here in just a second to, to remind us. But uh, sometimes the desert is a trial. Sometimes it's a place out there and you're like, why am I even here? Why am I going through this? Why are we dealing with this? And sometimes it's, it, it's that. It's, it's lonely like that. But sometimes God, like Philip, takes you to a place that not really other, many others are willing to go to do something for God and it's there in that place that you find yourself very lonely. Where's everybody else? Why isn't everybody else on board with this? It's often lonely, and, and it can get boring in the flesh. If you focus on what you want, you're like, man, this is, I'm tired of this. This gets old fast. It's hot. Pressure's there. You can get hurt in the desert. But we're reminded that God always has a divine purpose. And there's often divine appointments that we have even there in the desert. And again, that's what happened to Philip. On top of these divine appointments, I want to remind us that there are definitely lessons to be learned in the desert. And I want to say this, when you're there in the desert, maybe not, you, you may not see the divine appointment right away, but you're there in the desert, and God has a lesson for you there that can only be learned there. And that's the difficult thing sometimes, like, man... Why are we going through this? Why am I going through this? Why are things so difficult? Why are things so spiritually dry? Why do I feel so lonely? Why are things so bad? Why, how long is this going to last? And, and sometimes we're so focused on all of those things that we're not getting the lesson that God wants us to learn there. And sometimes it's just simply be still and know I'm God. Sometimes it's to, to, to grow our faith and, and trust in God from the day to day. You say, what kind of lessons 
What kind of lessons can we learn in the desert? Well, we learn from Jesus how to battle temptation and how to deal with struggle in the desert, right? He was taken away to the wilderness, to the desert, to be tempted. And we learned how to deal with that kind of difficulty and struggle and, and, and temptation. And that was with the word of God and with faith. We learned how not to handle difficulty, i.e., by not murmuring or complaining or not being self-centered or not forming idols for ourselves in the wilderness from the children of Israel in the desert. And now with Philip, we learn how to be a vessel of obedience in the desert. I want to pray this morning and jump back in to Acts chapter 8 and see what else. Uh, we touched a little bit on this last week, but we didn't get to the point. Uh, and this week, God gave me another point before the last point. So the point three from last week is actually point number two for this week. And uh, we'll see what God has. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place, God. And uh, we are thankful for uh, the many men and women who have uh, laid down their lives that I believe you have used uh, to um, ensure that your church, specifically here in America, is able to have freedom to share the gospel, to, sh to spread the gospel across the globe, uh, to be a light in a dark place. And God, it seems like this place is getting darker by the minute. And Lord, I, I just pray that we would see the blessings we have in freedom, the blessings that we have that you have ensured for us and that men and women have laid down their lives to, to protect, um, that, that we, don't, we don't take those for granted, that we definitely take advantage of them and we use them for your glory and for your kingdom, that we wouldn't become self-centered, that we wouldn't become selfish and, and focused on what we want from life, but God, we would be living sacrifices, uh, yielded to you uh, as instruments of righteousness. And Lord, I just pray that you'd work in this place this morning. If there's somebody here that doesn't have a sincere relationship with you, they're not 100% sure that heaven's going to be their home, I pray before they leave that they will make sure they know 100% that heaven's going to be their home. Lord, for those of us who have already given you our lives, those of, you, those of us who have already been saved, Lord, I ask that you just move and stir our hearts together with your word, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 8, 27 Again, we touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to remind us, it says that he, so he arose, in verse 27, and went. That, that is, you could probably preach an entire series on, on that first part of verse 27. So he arose and went. If you remember, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came and said, hey, go to this area, the area of Gaza, which is desert. And the, the first thing that Philip does is, and we talked about this here recently too in, 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 in some, some of our Sunday, Sunday night um, prayer time and stuff like that. We're going through Hebrews. And uh, sometimes we, we try to rationalize and try to figure out both mentally and emotionally what we're dealing with first. And that, that tends to be the cause of so many of our problems in the midst of trials or in the midst of the desert. We, we try to mentally wrap ourselves around what we're dealing with or what we're going through. And then, and then the next thing that we do is we try to emotionally so that we can cope with it, so that we can deal with it. And many times those first fleshly responses, while they may be natural, they're not supernatural. We should, we should the first thing whenever we are presented with, okay, I'm going to go through a difficult season or I'm in a difficult season or I'm in a desert place, the very first thing that we should do is turn to the Lord in, in prayer. The first thing that our first response 
should not be, okay, now what are we going to do now? How are we going to deal with this now? That's, that shouldn't be our first response. And I'll stand here and admit to you, many times that's my first response. And I don't like that. Because what happens is my mind starts going to places maybe that it shouldn't go. My heart starts going to places that maybe it shouldn't go. And so when I'm dealing with something, when we're dealing with something, the very first thing we should do is we should turn to God and say, God, I don't understand what this is. I don't know why we're going through this. I don't know why this is happening to us, why, this is, why we're going through this desert. I don't understand any of this, but I want to tell you right off the bat that I trust you. I know that you're God. I know that you're good. And I ask you to give me the strength, give me the wisdom, give me everything I need to make it through this trial, make it through this desert, to, to go to this desert place and be your servant. We don't, most of the time, most of us don't handle things like that. Boom, get slapped in the face, and then we're like, oh no, what are we going to do? Okay, so, all right, so what, how much money do we have here? And, 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 and what, we start doing that stuff. Turn to the Lord first. Ask, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. So why would we skip ahead and say, I'm going to go on my wisdom first, and then turn around and ask God for wisdom? We should turn to God and say, God, give me wisdom. This, looks, this desert looks very intimidating. This, this, this season may be very hard for us. So we need your help. I need your help. And then move forward in obedience. See, Philip maybe had already done all that. We're not told that. The Bible doesn't give us all the, 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 the very intricate details of, of situations and lives. Some of you are maybe watching The, the Chosen, and uh, that's where you get some of that artistic liberty we don't know all of the very details and stories of Scripture. And so you have people come along and say, well, this is maybe what was going on. This is maybe how people acted and reacted and did things. Again, this is one of those things. We don't necessarily know everything surrounding what Philip was thinking or doing or what he did before all this. All we simply are told is that the angel of the Lord told him, go down to the, the, the Gaza the desert. And this response was that he got up and he went. Christ told him to go. And he went, and look what happens. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of, uh, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, this eunuch did, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was going back. He was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Isn't that amazing? The, the, what, what we're told in Scripture, lo and behold, is that what he did is he obeyed, and God indeed had a divine appointment. I wonder how many times I've missed divine appointments when I've gone through a trial because I was so focused on the desert. I was so focused on the trial that I wasn't seeing maybe the divine appointment that God had right off the bat. Man, I'm dealing with this right now, and I'm just trying to figure out and, and wrestle with all this, and I'm, I'm dealing with all, the, all of the, the, the struggles that come along with this. And, and, and maybe passing people by, missing opportunities along the way, because I'm so focused on, on my flesh's ability to, to wrap around the difficulty. So he goes in obedience, and the very first thing, he could, have, he could have passed the chariot by, right? The Bible could have given us that detail. Philip came upon a chariot, and he walked past it as he was struggling in the heat of the desert, you know? I mean, it could have, it could have said something like that, but it didn't. It says that he noticed that he, he saw this divine opportunity, divine appointment with this Ethiopian eunuch. And again, I believe it's because where his heart was, where his mind was, he obeyed 
God had the divine appointment. This Ethiopian eunuch from the court of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, returning from worship in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah. Like, man, what an amazing divine opportunity. Verse 29, then spirit, uh, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chair. It doesn't mean to go like, ah, you know, I'm going to overtake you. You know, it wasn't like a, an act of war or anything. Um, he said, go and, and go, go join yourself to this chariot. So look what Philip does again. So he ran to him. Right? He, he didn't say, no, wait a second, God. Uh, whew, I've been traveling for a while. I'm really tired. It's really hot here in this desert. Can I just rest for a little while? He comes, the first opportunity he has is here's an opportunity to, to minister to somebody. The Spirit says, okay, now go, do it. No excuses, no complaints, no me, what about this? Nothing, just he ran to him. Another example of complete and immediate obedience. And this morning, I want us to hear what the, what the Lord, is, I believe, telling us in this story because it is, it's an, it's an account of what God did through these people's lives. And it's been recorded for us for 2,000 years. And I think the, the, the point is very important. What we see in Philip and on all of this is that he didn't delay. He simply obeyed. And so I think that is a, a point that we should take in our lives and apply it. Don't delay, just obey. Don't delay, just obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When we try to say, well, when I get a little more time or when things free up for me or when we're not dealing with so many things at the same time or when things aren't so difficult, when I, when I get back on my feet or whatever the case, again, we can come up with all kinds of excuses, all of us. But we need to be reminded that delayed obedience is disobedience. And I want to clarify something there or qualify that because sometimes we can be hasty in our own flesh and not be going according to God's will and God's word and be working on our own will and our own wants. Again, it's not to be confused when, when you're in a season of, season of seeking God's will, right? Because sometimes we don't know exactly what door to go through. We don't know exactly or, or what, what door is going to open or what door is going to close. And so, so well, I, I'm not trying to delay. I, I'm just trying to, to, to wait on the Lord and, and be in his will and do things that are according to, to what he wants and pleases him. Again, the, um, this, this delay, don't delay, just obey, is not to be confused when you're seeking God's will or when you're ensuring that you're moving according to the spirit of God and not the spirit of man, right? Because that's an important thing to do that, that you say, okay, I want to make sure that I'm not moving according to what I want, but I'm moving according to what God wants. Or when you're waiting on the Lord in his timing. Because that can be a difficult thing too, right? You're, you want to witness to that loved one. You want to witness to that coworker, You want to witness to that person. And every time that you go to do that, the door gets closed, and it, it's very obvious that that, that co-worker's not sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah wondering, when's somebody going to come and explain it to me, you know? It's very clear sometimes that the door's not open. I'm not talking about that either. Not like, I'm going to kick down that door. God, you know, Jesus loves you, you know. Not, not that, but um, when it comes to a, what we're talking about is when it comes to a clear command. That's what Philip had. Go to the desert. Go to that chariot. It was clearly God's word. It was clearly the spirit of God directing him. So when it comes from a place of a clear command, when there is something, again, in God's word that says, 
do this, don't do that. When the door is open, don't delay, just obey. This type of obedience, this immediate obedience, is indicative of a couple things, a few things, I think. The first thing, I think, whenever we have a commandment of God, whenever it's clear that we're supposed to do something for the Lord, when the door is open, and it is the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of man, and we're not to delay, but obey, and when we do obey immediately, I think, number one, it indicates our trust in God. And specifically, if we have entrusted our lives to Jesus Christ, He is our Lord, then, of course, our only response in all things should be immediate obedience. That's been the story of the children of God through all the ages. Whenever they are trusting God wholly, and God gives a command, then immediate obedience is the response. James chapter 2 tells us a little bit about this type of faith, this type of trust. So faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Again, James was describing the type of faith that even demons have. The de demons believe and tremble, this empty faith, this, 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 this head knowledge belief is different from somebody who has entrusted their entire life, surrendered, repented, and given their whole life, put all of their weight in Jesus Christ. Their whole foundation is Jesus Christ. That type of faith, he says, produces works. James 2, 26, whereas the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith, that type of saving faith apart from works is dead. Jesus said this in John 15, 14, you are my friends, we have a relationship if you do what I command you. Titus 3.8, this saying is trustworthy, and I, want you, uh, and I want you to insist on these things. Paul's talking to Titus as a preacher, telling him, hey, you need to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, of course, when we see these words works in James and in, and in Titus here, these are actions of obedience. That's why they're called good. Actions of obedience to God, not to man, not to anything else. There's one good, Jesus said, and that is God. So it's good because it's according to his word. So whenever we act in faith, when we act in immediate obedience, obedience trusting the Lord, then those are the good works that Bible talks about. So I believe that trust is, is one of the things that uh, indicates um, this or uh, gives us immediate obedience. Number two, love. John 14, Jesus essentially said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That is about as simple as it gets, right? If we say that we love God, then our life will be a life of obedience. If we love him, those are my words, those are Jesus' words. And it wasn't forced, just like love isn't forced, just like the relationship with God isn't forced, it's if you truly love God, if I truly love God, then there is something that happens inside of us that prompts us, it urges us. The Apostle Paul said that it constrains us or compels us, the love of God in us. He said it in, in a few verses later in verse 20, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my word. Again, very simple. If the love of God is in us and we love God, then we will obey and we will want to obey all of his commands. And he goes on to say, my father will love him and we will come to him and take up residence with him. We will live inside of this person. We'll have this relationship. The person who does not love me will not obey my words. 
It's very simple. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't love me, you won't obey me. And the word you hear is not mine, he said, but it's the Father who sent me. So again, love, that, that's, that's, that is part of the, uh, the, 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 the foundation, I believe, of immediate obedience. Trust, love, and fear. Number three. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And look what the next part says. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So if the, the, the fear, the reverence of God is, is, is the starting point of us having knowledge, understanding, and wisdom of God and his word and his ways, and the Bible says that if somebody who is following the commandments of God or, or keeping the commandments of God has good understanding, then it starts with fear. It starts with reverence. We're not going to be those who are immediately obeying God like Philip was if we don't have a healthy reverence of God. Again, every day living our lives in, the light of the, in light of the fact that it's God who has given us life. It is God who has given us all good things. And so we should live our lives just like Philip was living his lives, even in his life, even in the desert. It was, it was right now his life is being indicated by immediate obedience. And again, I believe that these things were in Philip, and that's why he was doing this. He trusted Christ wholly. He, we already talked about that. I believe he loved the Lord, and he had a reverence for him. And so immediate obedience was his response. He goes on to say in verse 30, and you heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. So he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, some of you are studying Isaiah right now in, in a group. Um, some of you have read Isaiah and studied Isaiah. And if you have before, even some of you in a group, I've, I've talked to you, and you're like, uh, what's he talking about? You know, that, that it can be a difficult thing, but what's beautiful about this is, is the, the eunuch is reading a section of Scripture that is, I mean, beautiful about the Lord about the, the sacrifice that the Lord made on our behalf. That's, it's, it's amazing. Again, divine appointment is hard to explain this type of stuff unless you go through them. And so Philip asked him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says back to him, the eunuch says, how, how can I unless someone guides me? Somebody's got to teach me. I'm not understanding hardly anything that I'm reading. So he asked Philip, hey, come up and, and sit with me. And the place in the scripture that he was reading was this. Again, divine. He could have been reading about future prophecy. He could have been reading about the, the children of Israel being disobedient. He could have been reading about the judgment of the nation of Israel. Any of those things in the, in the book of Isaiah. He just so happened to be in the section of Isaiah that it was talking about Jesus Christ. When Philip was just coming from Samaria, having preached the gospel to all these Samaritans, and they got saved... And now he walks in, into the desert, trusting God, loving him, immediate obedience. And lo and behold, there's a guy reading Isaiah. And it just so happens that he's reading this part of Scripture. What was he reading? It says he was reading this part of the Scripture that said, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life? Is taken from the earth. So the, the eunuch answered Philip and said, So, who is this guy 
Who does this prophet say, say, uh, does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And and every time I read that, I think, man, what an amazing blessing that is. What What an amazing divine appointment that is. Again, those times in our life when the fruit is ripe for the harvest. I I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your Christian life where you've been able to uh, talk to someone about the gospel, share the gospel with them, and they were ready. They were like, oh, yeah, hey, so I got other questions. I want to, you know, they're just, they're just hungry. They, they want to know. They, they're, they're, they're ripe for the harvest. This man was seeking. He was reading the, 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 the gospel story, essentially, at this point in time, the Old Testament. And he was ready. But the reality for, for most of our experience, if you regularly share the gospel, is this. Closed doors. And it's hard to share the gospel when it seems like there's nothing but closed doors. And when closed doors, I'm not necessarily talking about the opportunity, but maybe I should say closed hearts. That's one of the hardest things to do is to share the gospel with somebody who is not interested, who is not ready, who is not at a place where the, 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 the gospel has even been planted or, or, or sown in their life. It's, it's so hard to, to talk to somebody who, at the end of, of you sharing the gospel with them, they say something like this. Uh, I, I, I really don't have time right now. It's, it's hard to share the gospel with, with people when, when at, 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 as you're sharing the truth, the eternal truth that's going to save their soul for all of eternity, and they're like, oh, um, yeah, um, I, I, it's not a good time right now. You know, It's so hard to share the gospel, but when God gives you those opportunities, it's so sweet when the door's open and the heart's ready. And basically, all you have to do is say, yeah, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, just like Philip did. We never know when we're going to cross one. And it recently happened with a couple in, in our church. Just, you just never know whenever God's going to do that. But that's, that's the importance of being faithful, of, of not delaying obedience, but obeying the commands of God. Uh, there, again, it, this was a desert place. There's no way Philip would have known unless God would have told him, oh, when you go to the desert, there's going to be a guy there in a chariot seeking after me, wanting to know who I am and what I've done for him. Philip didn't know that. All Philip knew was go to the desert. It's going to be hot. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be all by yourself. You're going to have to deal with some difficulty, and I'm not even telling you how long you're going to be in the desert. The first thing that God does, is you're obeying me. You're going by faith. You're moving by love. You're moving by these things, and, and I've got somebody I need you to talk to. Philip walks, walks up and says, yeah, I can tell you who that is. <laughs> that would be great. I would love to share, you know. Who is this prophet talking about? Who is this lamb? Who is this man? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at... This scripture preached Jesus to him. I love that. I love that the Old Testament is not, I mean, this eunuch, because of his lack of understanding, didn't know exactly his name, Jesus. But Philip says, I got the answer. You know, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, the the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. All, 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 All the things that the prophets spoke of and he came, he just died. You just missed him, Munich. You were there in Jerusalem worshiping. Hey, you missed him. He, he, he was here recently. 
As they went down to the road, came to some water. The eunuch said, look, here's some water. What keeps me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, then you can be baptized. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I love the fact that this man desired to do whatever it took to be identified with such an amazing God. I want to be identified with that Christ. I want that in my life. Again, Philip tells him, nothing keeps you from being identified with him if you have absolute faith in him. A beautiful picture of, again, obedience that follows true faith. And point number two is baptism is the first step of obedience and a lifetime of steps, of course, that follows faith in Christ. We know, many of us know, hopefully everybody in here knows, that baptism isn't necessary for salvation. Water baptism isn't necessary for salvation. But we also know, according to Scripture, that it is always attached to salvation. It's always, in any command, in every illustration and example we have in Scripture, it's always the first response of true salvation. I've trusted Christ, now what should I do? What's my first thing? What are the first thing that I do now that I'm saved? Be baptized. You don't have to tell a woman standing at a marriage altar that she should put on that ring as she commits her entire life to that man. Why? Because it's a response of love and commitment. It's an outward sign that she has taken and she has identified with one man alone. That's what it symbolized. To be with him for the rest of her life. So for the Christian, baptism is that outward sign of an inward commitment to one man, to one Lord, to one God. Our identification with Jesus Christ, him alone being our Savior and Lord. Again, the response, don't delay, just obey. And again, it's not a forced thing. I, I mean, God shouldn't have to, like, put us through difficult times and, and twist our arms and, 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 and push us out in the desert. Hey, get out in the desert, you know. I got something for you to do. It's not forced obedience. It's, again, comes from love, trust, and reverence. This is you don't have to force someone in true love or even with true faith. Or you don't have to force obedience. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Christ. We know the kingdom of God. He was baptized Christ. And as Christ took the reins and the disposition Carried them to God's ordained destination. Again, the Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible also says that he was crucified for our sins. He was buried. He was risen again to offer life and forgiveness to all who would believe and trust in him. So the eunuch does this. The eunuch follows him in baptism, verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up from the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing I, there, there's like hidden humor in the word of God sometimes but again the lack of details in scripture sometimes allows our own minds to kind of fill in the gaps sometimes <laughs> and, and I was thinking that's, that's what the word of God inspired Luke to write about this, this account right Philip was caught away. The eunuch didn't see him no more. And then he just went on his way rejoicing. 
I've never seen somebody disappear from my presence. <laughs> I've never seen somebody, boop, oh, hey, where'd they go? Yeah. And his, his response was like, all right, let's go, you know. Went on his way rejoicing. Like it doesn't say, and he pondered in his mind wherewith he went, you know. Like it, it doesn't say, like, like he, he was puzzled and, and, he, and his heart was stirred with how wonderful the God is that could rapture people out of their presence. I mean, he didn't, it didn't say he contemplated on very long. He's just like, he didn't see him no more, and then he went on his way rejoicing. I don't know. I, just, I love the word of God. Again, very clearly, this, this response of someone who truly trusted in Christ. If you're here this morning, and you've never, first of all, put your faith in Jesus Christ, just like the eunuch, there's something that God did for you that you can never do for yourself. He paid for your sins sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay for sins that you and I committed, the whole world, even though he committed none. He rose again, and, and the reality is, the Bible says, it's by grace, God's grace, and through our faith in him that we are saved, not of works. There's nothing you could ever do. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about coming to church. It's about trusting Jesus Christ. And from that point of trusting your life to Jesus Christ, then again, immediate obedience follows to the baptismal waters, to joining a church, to being the church, to following him in obedience and sharing the gospel and living a life of obedience, good works to his word. And just to clarify real quick before we close, the word baptism, there's only one Greek word that we have for that. Uh, the Greek word is baptizo, which the Greek word baptizo means to fully immerse or to fully wet. And this is an interesting thing that God chose to use that, right? Because we could have done all kinds of different things. I've shared this when I've talked about people, uh, talk about baptism, the importance of, uh, of baptism before. I mean, everybody, not everybody, there's a lot of people that know the story of, of the city of Jericho, right? He told them, walk around the city seven times on seventh day, walk, walk around seven times. And then the walls of Jericho fell down, right? Well, God could have done something like that. Hey, when you get saved, walk around your house seven times on the seventh day, walk around seven times. Then you'll, everybody in your neighborhood know you're a crazy Christian. Walking around your house seven times. What's that guy doing? You know, blowing a horn, hitting bells or whatever. You know, I mean, he could have said anything. But I love the, the picture that baptism gives us. It's not only an outward sign, an outward, hey, I, I am now a, a child of God. I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. But it paints a beautiful picture of the spiritual work that happens in someone's life when they do get saved. Right? The old man is gone. That you're no longer living for yourself. The old man is gone, buried with Christ, and risen in a new life with him. It's a beautiful picture. Mark chapter 1, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was talking about Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you're sealed with the, pro the promise Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance till we acquire the possession of it, the praise of his glory in Titus chapter 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing all our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness, mercy of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing. Here's how he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The complete washing, baptism, is a physical picture of that spiritual reality. I love that God is so perfect in all his ways. Baptism, immersion, fully wet, fully covered, consumed. Jesus said at one point in time, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Well, what does that mean? It's a complete consumption, complete consuming. This morning, again, several things that we can take away. And I pray that these points really help us. Don't delay, just obey. And realizing the importance of baptism. If you've not been baptized, if you haven't taken that step of obedience to be baptized, to identify with Christ, we do that on a, on a regular basis now that uh, we're back in the swing of things. But um, I want to encourage you this morning. Let's take the lessons from Philip in the desert place his obedience, and uh, that God can do great things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your word. Pray you bless now as we respond to it. Let's have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he plays, I'm going to encourage you to come.